From those in the know to those who need to know, this is the Indie Weekly Podcast. All right. Hey, how's it going? Thank you for listening to the Indie Weekly Podcast, where we share the best conversations across our Indie Weekly music industry webinars, as well as Indie Week's four online conferences, the flagship Indie Week, Music Pro Summit, Indie 101, and Screen by Screen. So coming up in just a minute is a conversation from Indie Weekly held back in April of this year. This is an outstanding conversation, especially for any of you songwriters or music creators of any kind out there. It's all about hit songwriting and the panel we lined up for this Indie Weekly was quite incredible. So joining host Daryl Hurst for this was none other than Simon Wilcox. Now, if that name doesn't ring a bell, the people she's written songs with and for, you will certainly know. Simon Wilcox has written hit songs with everyone from Carly Rae Jepsen, Nick Jonas, and Selena Gomez to rockier acts like Blink-182, Five Seconds of Summer, and Fits in the Tantrums. Just a truly incredible, diverse, and mega successful array of artists in her credits. So, Simon Wilcox is here, but not only her, we also have John Angus MacDonald from Canadian rock band The Trues. Pretty much anyone with ears in Canada knows who The Trues are. They've been one of the most consistent and successful rock bands here in Canada for now, probably at least like 20-ish years or so. They are the definition of consistency and longevity in music, and a lot of that comes down to their incredible songwriting. So yes, from the trues, we got John Angus MacDonald, and last but certainly not least, we have Hill Kirkutis. Hill has seen the hit songwriting process from all sides. She is a multi-instrumentalist and songwriter herself, writing with artists such as Sate and Digging Roots, but she's also a Juno Award-winning producer and recording engineer. So like I said, she's seen the song creation process from those first kernels of a song idea right up to the recording and mixing and mastering and award-winning side of it. So there you have it. Just a great, great panel we had for this conversation, and we're excited to share it with you here on this week's podcast. But before we get to this week's conversation, we first have to acknowledge that the land on which Indie Week is based is the traditional territory of the Haudenosaunee, Wendat, Ashinaabe, Métis, and the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation. We must also thank our sponsors and funders. Those are Slate Music, CD Baby, CMRRA, Lyric Find, Banzoogle, The City of Toronto, Global Affairs Canada, Ontario Creates, Factor, Seneca College, SEMA, SOCAN Foundation, and our newest sponsor, Cox & Palmer who provide legal services in Atlanta, Canada. We also acknowledge that this project is funded in part by the Government of Canada. Without the support of all of them, we couldn't do the work that we do for the music community. So a big, big thank you to all those companies, organizations, and government bodies. All right, let's get to this week's conversation. I really want to dive into this talk because I've been really looking forward to this. Like all these guests that we have I, I really look up to uh and have had some personal connection in the past you know Hill played Indie Week like early days I remember having to go to Sneaky D's to make sure it was okay to have somebody underage playing at that bar at that time uh which was cool uh, and uh there's a couple other sort of connections and I'm gonna get into that in a bit but first I'd like uh everybody uh, our guests to introduce themselves and I'm going to go how it appears on my screen and Simon uh, you're up first if you could just introduce yourself and give a little bit of a background 
background. Uh, hi, my name is Simon Wilcox. I am a songwriting or singy poem person. Um, I, I've done a lot of things in the music business. Um, I've been a recording artist and I've been a busker and a folk singer and I toured with my acoustic guitar and um, I've done some production, but I don't like it. And I love writing songs and it's the best. And I really love the other people on the panel. So I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Awesome. And I agree, this is a great group of people. I too bust. I remember busking. That was fun. Uh, you never know what's gonna happen then. Uh, next up is John Angus from The Trues. Hello, everyone. Thank you for, for having me. Um, yeah, I'm, like Daryl said, I'm, I'm from the Trues. I'm a founding member along with my brother and our old friend Jack. And we've been playing together for over 20 years. Um, our first album turns 20 this year, which is blows my mind. Uh, but in that time, we've uh, toured uh, far and wide and all around the world and quite extensively in our home country of Canada. And uh, we've put out seven or eight or nine records, depending on how you count them. Um, I also have, you know, probably had a hand in like 90% of the stuff we've written and put out. And I've also written on outside projects and produced for some artists, um, you know, here and there as well. Um, but yeah, um, for songwriting, the lion's share of my stuff came, you know, through my band. And um, But yeah, I'm happy to be here as well. Um, Simon and Hill are two people I greatly respect and admire and happy and looking forward to this uh, this chat. Awesome. Thank you so much. And, and we'll touch on some of that past stuff in a little bit as I kind of teased in the back. Uh, Hill, if you can uh, give us a little bit about yourself. Hey, everybody. My name is Hill. Um, I am a producer, songwriter and engineer. And um, I got my start in the industry with my own solo projects. And um, then I had the pleasure of being a musician for hire for many artists um, over the course of a decade touring um, before I kind of landed on what I'm focusing on now, which is writing songs and producing. And I also do some composing for film and TV as well. So that's my life in a nutshell. And I'm also very excited to be here. <laughs> I, and I gotta say, everybody's pretty modest. You guys have done some pretty big things uh, and uh, need to just acknowledge that. And I really appreciate your time and being here. Thank you. Um, one thing that's always interesting, I find in the music industry, like I just was at a CMA thing and everyone's like, are you here as CD Baby or DIT or anything? Like we tend to wear hats and, and like musician, songwriter, producer, musician for hire, composer, like we, we end up doing a lot of things, but I kind of, when we were in the back, I called the green room, even though we were just in Zoom before, uh, talking about often we start as a performer. The goal is I'm, I want to be in a band or I want to be on stage. But at some point there's this crossover where, wow, songwriting, there's an art to that. And we get drawn to that. And um, often, I, like anytime I've dealt with some other artists, they're like, no, 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 no one touches my music. I don't want to change the thing. I don't want to change the song. In fact, that's actually why I quit the last band I was in, because they weren't looking to collaborate. Um, so with songwriters, though, I find they're 
often very open to collaborating and trying new things and make, maybe we should make that minor instead or maybe change a key. So can we talk a bit about what was your moment where like songwriting really pulled you in and it's like, this is a craft, like this is something you really want to do. And I'm gonna go in the same order. Um, Simon, uh, I'll put you in the hot seat first. Uh, pretty early days, I was drawn in by songwriting. I made a record for 650 bucks. Um, that was my first record. And a Quebec artist named Joran asked me to co-write because she liked the songs on it. And I knew in that moment, um, we went into the woods in Quebec and just drank a lot of coffee and wrote a lot of songs. And I thought, wait, there's something here for me. And then it took me a couple of years, but I I don't think I was ever, like, I'm pretty shy. I don't really like people looking at me. I'm not a performer like, you know, like John Angus is an incredible performer. I'm, I'm not that kind of performer. I, um, I love being behind the scenes and I love... I love lifting and supporting someone else's art and contributing to it and then disappearing. So it's just been a dream come true for me that this job exists. But I don't think starting out, I thought of it as like, oh, I could just go be a songwriter. I just knew I wanted to like hurl myself at music and, and do something related to music. And then it emerged as a career path for me and as the right path for me. That's awesome. I, I I agree. Like it's it's a interesting thing because we start as performers, but kind of find our way. And and uh, that's great that it, it it's uh, you're right that this career exists. And I think sometimes a lot of questions we get from artists is how do I make it a career? And we'll talk about that in a bit. Uh, I want to give uh, John Angus a chance to give an answer to this question as well. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I can relate to what you're saying about sometimes being in a band, um, especially early on. We we're all late teens when we started our band together. There's a lot of walking on eggshells around each other's ideas that goes on. And uh, it takes a little bit of getting used to to realize that the songs get better when everybody pitches in. Um, and that's just been true of our band and true of so many bands that I've you know gotten to know and talked to this, uh, talked about this, too. Um, so yeah, that's just the songwriting went from, like, it was like a means to an end, you know, we want, we knew we wanted to be like a band that did their own material. So you got to write your own songs and then bands that write their own material get taken more seriously and have longer careers. And so we just kind of like, I don't know, I feel like Colin was probably the most like naturally oriented towards songwriting in the band. Um, and then there was a lot of, you know, you know, like, like the aforementioned eggshells of people trying to get their ideas in and trying to collaborate and become a, a creative unit. Um, and then over many, many, many versions of trial and error, you, you, you become songwriters because you've just done it that many times. Um, and then, uh, but you know, for us, it was like, you know, you, uh, cyclical almost, you know, like you go through into a phase of songwriting and then you go into a phase of recording them and then you go into a phase of touring them and, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I never again, like the idea of like signing up for the job of being a songwriter was it, we, it, we just sort of stumbled into it, like I think most bands do. And then 
you pick up some tricks of the trade and then you realize you can bring those into other sessions with other people that aren't your people necessarily and or the people you came up with um so yeah i don't know, I hope that answers your question in even some way <laughs> no absolutely and and uh, i i also kind of thinking back to a bit what simon said that whole lifting somebody else up i think is is that there's this reward and and feeling behind it like oh, i had a part in that but great for them like it, it's really cool to see other people achieve their goals and uh with hill i gotta say hill i see your name on so many things right now and it's it's been great it's hilarious like there's an artist that sends something and i'm like who were hill of course uh, uh so hill you've been doing a lot lately and uh so love to hear your take on this as well yeah for sure um well, I think for me, there were kind of two catalytic catalyst moments where I, I kind of stepped into the power of songwriting. And I, I began writing songs, I don't know, from as early as I could remember, but I didn't know what I was doing. And I think that first really powerful moment was walking into my first professional songwriting session. And it was with Lisa Del Bello, who is like a hero of mine. Uh, she's like a monster writer. <laughs> she's insane. And it was the first time I'd kind of walked into a space where I learned how to refine a song and, and the importance of editing a song. So I went from writing songs and wondering why they didn't sound like all the professional songs on the radio to starting to understand how you get to that point. Um, so that was a very powerful uh, moment for me. And then the second moment was when I was actually starting to collaborate with my pal Simon um, because I learned how to connect the emotions that you have inside of you and how to truly connect those to a song without having an ego getting in the way. Um, and I think that that learning how to be honest and vulnerable is a huge part of that equation in songwriting. And I think those are the two things that really made an impact on me that I then carried, carried forward, forth, you know, in my subsequent writing adventures. And we'll be back. Hey, listener. You're listening to our podcast, which is a recorded session from one of our other online sessions. Every Tuesday, you can tune in and be part of it at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and that is Toronto time. For those of you listening in from different parts of the world, uh, it's our Indie Weekly, and that means we talk with music industry professionals, artists, all about the music business. It's a great way to connect with others as we have people tuning in from around the world. We encourage dropping links, sharing, DMing, making real connections while learning about the music industry and uh, hearing from music industry professionals. So once again, that's Indie Weekly every Tuesday, 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That's Toronto time. And to sign up, just head over to IndieWeek.com and all the information is there. And we're back. Awesome. And, and I want to actually touch on something that uh, you made me think of, Hill, there. In what was the moment where you're like, ah, I think I, I'm, I'm getting there? Like the first time you heard a song on the radio that you participated in, what was that feeling like? And, and if you could sort of share a bit of that story, uh, because you know, everybody has that goal. And I've been seeing it like it's now a TikTok thing where it's like, You've seen so many artists, like I know Mono Wales was one, like pulled over side of the road and they like our songs on the radio and sharing that moment. It's such an important point for them uh, to have that memory. Uh, so Simon, I'm kind of curious, like what was that moment where you're like, 
hearing it first time on the radio. I had a really incredible moment early in my career where I had a song on the radio at the time, and then I had a song with Three Days Grace and a song with a Montreal band called Pleasure Orange. And like within half an hour of listening to the radio, I heard all three. And it was like, wow, um, maybe I can really do this. You know, it was a really incredible, probably my most incredible moment. My favorite moments now with radio or whatever, you know, it's like being in a mall and my husband will look over at me and he'll tap me and be like, didn't you write this? <laughs> I'll be like, oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> but it, it's, awesome. not, it's not the way it is. You know, the, that first time was just so, so huge for me. Yeah, it's, and, it's, it's to be that milestone goal. And yeah. like, where do we go from here, right? That's awesome. Three, three. Uh, that's a yeah. really incredible. But I, mean, I don't think you can chase that. Like, it's one of those things that happens as a fluke if you get lucky a couple of times, maybe. But I don't think you can chase that. I think you have to be in love with the process of being with your friends and writing and sharing creative ideas. And then that's just a happy fluke of you I, getting I, I completely agree. Yeah, I completely agree. I can't, oh man, you're making me think of like, I've, I've consulted artists and often it's like this rich parent paying for it all. And they're like, yeah, so, so we're just gonna get on the radio, right? And I'm like, no, it doesn't work like that. And the, they're like, Hey, we record this song. It should be on the radio, right? I'm like, well, we'll see. You know, like, like it's. I think you're right. Like, enjoying that process is going to even make it much more meaningful when it happens. So, yeah, uh, yeah. Go ahead. No, I just got spoiled early on. That's all. <laughs> That's awesome. That's a great story. I love that. Uh, uh, John Angus. Uh, yeah, we. Um we are sort of getting on the map on radio in Canada came from a, like a con radio contest that we did with a station called 97.7 hits FM. They ran like a battle of the bands called rock search with a bunch of prizes. But the main thing was that they added your song if you want it. So we entered it and we won it and we were already making our first record. And so a song from the first record got taken off the record. We weren't done the record, but we took it and mixed it quickly and then put it out. And then the station started playing it in like heavy rotation. So, and it was in the town that we were living in, you know, we were living in Niagara Falls. So that was like the local station. So it was what we all listened to. So, you know, you'd hear like Guns N' Roses and then the Druze, like, oh my God. Uh, and then, you know, then into Three Days Grace. Uh, but yeah, it was uh, all around that same time. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it is a big thrill. You know, it doesn't really get, uh, whole lot better than the first time you know the first few times um there's something very thrilling about it um but it's interesting you, you say about people expecting i mean it's i, I don't know I, it seems it's it seems like a certain amount of luck i mean i know preparation and opportunity combined make luck and you gotta kind of work a lot and do it a lot but certainly at the time it, it felt like we had won the lottery it like, didn't feel like an obvious like we're just going to coast into this career you know what i mean so there is a certain amount of like I don't know. I think you got to be 
a kind of humble or be grateful for everything that comes your way. Cause like, you know, it, it, they don't, it, those kind of opportunities don't happen every day and they certainly aren't like uh, guaranteed to anyone kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I like that being humble and, and really being accepting because it can also come and go as fast as possible. And, oh, yeah. and you know, it's uh, really important to have that sort of uh, lens when approaching it. Um, Hill, I'd like to hear your story. <laughs> I actually had a very similar experience to John Angus and that I won a radio competition as well. Uh, so yeah, my first kind of big moment on the radio for one of my own songs um, was for the Radio Star contest, which was like that national competition. And um, I won the Toronto one that then advanced to like the national round. Um, and it was Mix 99.9, the radio station, which was like the station that I grew up listening to, like played all my favorite artists. So that was, you know, and I was pretty young at the time. So I was kind of tripping out over that <laughs> opportunity and experience. But it, yeah, I mean, it felt really good. And obviously like you're grateful for that um, when it happens because it is very difficult. And it, yeah, and that was a, a unique experience, you know, because then when you try to do it again, you realize the process of that it involves, right? Having to get the team involved and radio trackers and all that stuff. So, yeah, it's it was very different the second time around. <laughs> yeah, winning is kind of a, a good push, but but crafting it and doing all that work, like you said, radio tracker and timelines and release strategies and marketing. That's what record labels are. Are, are good good for um sometimes. and it takes the sexiness out of it after a while you know yes now um one thing that was interesting is like uh early days a friend of mine from peterborough he would drive every two weeks unknown songwriter either nashville or new york just to collaborate just to just songwriting and and he would perform but he was like no i'm a songwriter like this is what i want to do and stroke of luck one song he co-wrote in nashville got into the hands of like it was with a producer that got into the hands of so and so that knew somebody and it was kimberly Locke that released the song and if we remember american idol won when it was like the big hoopla she came in third but that song broke like dance records. It was on the top 20 for X weeks and such. And CSAC invited my friend down for the awards because he'll probably win an award next year. So it's kind of funny with that. Nobody knew he, who he was. And the, you know, little Bow Wow's there. The Ataris are there. And like, who's this guy? Oh, he wrote that song. Oh, he wrote that song. Hold on. Uh, tomorrow, two o'clock. Uh, you, you, collab good yeah uh, and like it was weird to watch like how it just snapped and changed where it's like oh you wrote that hit we got the collab like and they're like pulling up diaries and like collab calendars and stuff so how important has collaboration and songwriting impacted you because some people are very personal with their songwriting and like i don't really collab too much but other songwriters it's really part of the craft like they write with as many people in different genres and and it's also that's how you learn too like oh i just extended what i can do so uh simon you said you're a very you know shy type person how do you how do you collaborate and is, how important is that for you 
Well, I'm not shy in the studio. Gotcha. Just on stage. <laughs> Super spoken in the studio. I have a lot of opinions unless everything's going really well. And then I'm really quiet because I just don't want to mess it up by saying the wrong thing. You know, yeah. if two people are in a flow, I'm just like, okay, you guys flow. Um, I love collaboration. Uh, I, I'm very, a very lonely person. I feel lonely a lot and, um, and collaboration, that sharing of, of deep thought and profound feeling really helps mitigate my loneliness. So selfishly, I love having those real conversations with people about what they're genuinely feeling and thinking. And also it increases my brain power. Like John Angus will play chords I never would have thought of because the only chords I know are six, four, one, five. So wait, well, there's a two as well. You know, I can count, but you know, and then I get so excited because I would hear a melody that I wouldn't hear if I'm alone or, you know, he'll might sing something. And then I think, oh, that's so cool. Where you're coming in is so cool. Let's play with that. So it's just like increasing your brain power. I have so much respect for people who write alone. Um, and I do it sometimes just for pleasure, but uh, the real joy for me is in that connecting of ideas and feeling and thought, emotion. Yeah, no, I, I, I love that because uh, I've always looked at it as it's a way to grow. It's a way to have new experiences that uh, you kind of hear like, you know, what's in your toolkit, like, hey, you know what? couple years down the road, you might go, hey, I remember this thing. We could kind of pull that back out and try it in this new song in a different way. Like, it's all about experience and growing. Um, John Angus. Oh, go ahead, Simon. I well, often to... people go past their own good ideas as well. And so it's great to have somebody there who just says, wait, your first idea was amazing. Let's not go past that. If you were sitting there alone, you might think, eh, it was my first idea. Let's see what else I can get and forget about it. Yeah, I, I totally know what you mean. That, that's when you become your own worst enemy. And, um, and, and when you're coming up in a band, you get to recognize like where the blind spots are in the other guys. And I'm sure they see mine. Um, but then you hit on something else, you know, about like, you know, calling it, saying this is, this is the best bit. We're going to go with this bit. So that, that brings into for me, that brings up like the, ma the matter of trust. Like, I think like you, in a lot of ways, songwriting, like what your friend did and went to Nashville, we, we've, I've tried doing that. Like I've gone down for weeks on end and had like blind date after blind date after blind date. And that's what it is. It's a blind date. Like you're not going to jive with every person you go on a date with, you know what I mean? And it's not going to like, that's where chemistry comes into play. And then ultimately trust. And I, when, when we first met Simon, we weren't really like co, we weren't doing a lot of co-writing outside of our band. Um, and then the producer, like we had a, a producer early on, a guy named Gordy Johnson. We, we wrote a lot with him because we really trusted his, um, his like taste. You know, we, we, for our band, we're like, we're coming from the same place, the same stuff, the same, our record collections look very similar. Uh, and then bit by bit, when we were putting together our third record, uh, Simon's name came up and somebody suggested that we write with her. And, um, again, like it, it's a bit of a weird thing to meet somebody. Hello, how are you? Like, let's write some songs together. And, I mean, very quickly, Simon was able to like disarm our gruff exteriors. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the magic trick she does, but she gets you to like open up in a way that you didn't think you were capable of. Um, and we had such a, a great experience with her that we wanted to do it again and again. And we did over the subsequent years. So 
I think like, as far as like, you know, getting in the, the mix with a bunch of people, it's important to have like a, a certain amount of trust and that everybody can say their bad idea and say their good idea. And it's a, it's a kind of a safe area in that way, you know? Um, again, I don't even remember what the question was. I just, I think I just was going off what Simon said earlier, but. No, that's great. It's just like about collaborations and, you right. know. Collaboration is good. Collaboration is good. <laughs> Collaboration is good, definitely. Uh, and again, I, I've, I've dealt with so many like rock type bands where like, don't touch my music, don't change it, you know? And and actually that's how I quit playing in a band is like, uh, we, we actually had, uh publishing company from la looking at us and they're like you should change a few things like you're close but you got to work with other people that know what hit songs are like right and i knew somebody and kind of gave some suggestions and uh one of the writers in our band was like nope i didn't write it that way not gonna try it it wouldn't even try it and i was like i don't think we're gonna go much if we're gonna just have that stance so i quit (laughs) it's as simple as that like we're not gonna go far if we don't have open minds uh and something was said is like uh like there's the stories so much of like how a lot of bands like you too i think there's one where they were actually about to erase the song where somebody tackled them and it turned into something like streets have no name you know yeah so many times you think it's the bad song but someone else is like no so that outside ear is good uh i wanted to give hill a chance to uh, chime in on this yeah, for sure. Um, I do agree with everybody in that collaboration it just makes us better at what we do, you know, because I think we're lucky to do what we love for a living, right? And to, to do our passion for a living. Um, and so for me, it's just as much a matter of refining a craft and getting better at it as it is a human experience for me, right? Growing as a human being. Um, so I, I think Simon and John Angus have touched upon what it is for me in terms of um, it being a growing experience and a human experience. And I think it's really important though, when we are collaborating to create that safe space and, and build that trust so that by the time we get into the actual part we're writing, um, everybody's really open. And I think that when everybody's kind of in that trusting and vulnerable state, that's when the best art happens um, because we're not there for egoic purposes we're not there because we're scared we're, we're there just because we want to connect um so yeah that that to me i think is the most important part and and my approach to writing varies greatly when it's me writing for my own project versus me writing for an artist um and i think a big part of my approach in the latter is to to make sure that as soon as we walk into that room we're not just like jumping in like we would in that Nashville situation where you're just trying to knock it out and then go to the next session. Um, I think building that relationship is what has led to the stuff that I'm most proud of because um, it becomes very real and honest. Yeah, it's uh, real and honest is, is I think where a lot of the great stuff comes out and often we're told, you know, three minutes and 30 seconds. And the chorus needs to come in within X number of seconds to get on the radio and stuff. And everybody thinks that's the way to write towards. I sometimes say that's where to mix towards, write freely and stuff. And we can figure like the radio mix, you know, Uh, not right intending for that. But I I did want to address the chat a little bit because there's a lot of stuff going on. 
and Consuelo kind of started all. And I wanted, I, I'm curious on everyone's take on this because often this is more of a record company artist kind of thing. But have you ever been in that sort of environment or know somebody where, you know, you have to write like a hundred songs for this album and pick the 10 best ones. And uh, I did that with one artist just as an exercise. I had them write every single day. I was like, you got to write a song a day. Just let's get into that mindset. And the feedback after was when they're kind of like in song 30, they looked back and like, man, our first 10 songs were really bad. And then when they got into song 40, 50 range, they're like, songs in the 20s were really bad and like it kind of like they actually got to a point where we can have a chorus done by noon like it's like working their craft but it's all about an exercise on you know you're you're lifting weights here and, and getting used to writing songs but being in that mindset immediately has anyone ever been in that type of position with a record label or artist because you hear about that sometimes you got to write tons of songs and we're going to choose the 10 best uh simon I often choose to do that when I'm working on an entire record with an artist or a band. I prefer to do that. Um, I think that the that process of exploration is so interesting and so exciting. And you know, you don't lose any of the ideas. If you wrote a great song, song three, it can still make the record. The only thing that is scary is when people get, um, uh, you tend to be more attached to the most recent thing you've written some, sometimes, you know. <laughs> So that can be a little scary, but yeah, I love that process. Uh, yeah, I was going through a folder with an artist recently who's about to release an album and we had 48 songs in the discard folder for the record. 48 songs that we'd done together. I, I had no idea. I started to feel tired when I was <laughs> 48 songs. And then we had to listen to all of them and see if there's anything worth salvaging, which we did. And we found some things worth salvaging, but I love that. I think everybody should do that. There's so much music being released all the time now. You have to stand out. You have to put in the work to be better than the rest. Yeah. And, and I got to say, you're right. Like uh, the, the latest tends to be what's the favorite a lot of the times. And uh, I actually worked with one band where I was managing and we did a CD release party at the Drake Hotel early days. Uh, it was packed and they broke the plumbing and stuff. And I'm like, great, we got this buzz going. And literally next week, they're like, we're bored of these songs. We wrote, we recorded this like a year ago. So we're going to go back in the studio. And, and I'm like, you're not supporting this album at all. And it's like, they kind of fizzled because they killed their momentum because they thought the song we wrote right now is the best one. So that that was not a good career move. Uh, but that's what happens. The latest thing tends to be of mind. And with albums, they might have been recorded a year ago before they get released sometimes. So, uh, yeah, that's a great point, Simon. I appreciate that. Uh, John Angus. Yeah, I mean, we're, uh, we've never been like set the task, set out the task to do that many songs, but we do overwrite. Like we, it's like shocking how much we overwrite <laughs> and now over demo and like do way more than we have to. I mean, I read somewhere that the Black Keys, like, they record when they have 11 new songs. Like we have 11 new songs. That's a record. Let's record all 11. I'm like, I envy that so much because, and they're like, there's nothing left over. There's no B side. They're like, it's done. It's 11 songs. I'm like, what the hell? We, we probably, like, I mean, since our last record, which came out in the fall of 2021 and we wrote all through the pandemic, like as a coping mechanism, I think 
um, we probably have 50 or 60 new songs. But I mean, I think finding a record is about finding like the ones that kind of flow together and the ones that, and also we kind of know when we're hitting a stride. Like we, we had a, a bump in the road there between our, we put out a greatest hits record in like 2016 and then we had to make a new record and it wasn't coming very easily. We were writing lots of songs. We just weren't that happy with any of them. And then we quickly hit a stride and wrote a whole record in a month. And it was like 12 new songs. And I don't think it was that thing where we were just, I think we were more on fire, but we were like poaching lyrical sets from songs from the year before. And like, I always like those words, but the song was underwhelming. The melody was underwhelming. So we took the lyrics and put it over this new thing we had going and uh, sort of hit a stride. And then I think like, usually we know when, when we got the best ones, but yeah, the, the trash folder is always full. I mean, I, we just sort of take it on faith that some of the best stuff isn't in there. Uh, but, you know, I, I, that's what producers are for, too. That's the other thing that the other really important part of this puzzle is like, you know, a trusted producer. Like Hill, you know, and Simon's produced, I've produced, but, but Hill, you seem to be on a real role with producing. And like having that person in the room who's like that fifth member of the band or sixth, seventh member of the band who's going to sort of help you refine the vision and, and get it all sounding like it belongs, you know, on the same record. And, and uh, so, yeah, that, that's a really important role too, you know, and it sort of dovetails into songwriting and then sometimes not at all. Sometimes it's just about sort of like keeping the whole thing, you know, somewhat cohesive. Yeah. It, you know, that, that producer is such a big, big role. And I appreciate how you said, you know, if you're not finding your stride, sometimes you got to work through it and, and, and you will know when your stride is because you are doing it instead of, Hey, we wrote eight songs on the album is eight songs and that's it. Uh, and the producer role, uh, a friend of mine once got a chance to work with Rick Rubin, who is like producer. And when he listened to the first listen, he literally just turned around, I guess, and said, before I answer these questions, tell me what kind of car you want to drive. <laughs> and he's like that's how i'm going to answer these questions so uh yeah it's kind of interesting having that outside ear but then that trust like how are we driving this where are we going with it um so hill uh would like to hear your opinion yeah i was actually going to speak from the production perspective on this because i think it's so artist dependent you know i've worked with a, a lot of artists that come in with you know won't even start thinking about the process of making a record until they have X amount of songs. Um, and then I work with a lot of artists that are specifically working on a concept album. And so they'll have a very clear idea of the arc of the album. Um, and when I'm involved in the writing on those types of albums, we kind of already have an outline in place that we're writing towards um, rather than just trying to compile a series of songs to make the album. So I think it really just depends. And, to me, outside of the the quantity, which is always great, I think it's great to be able to explore all the options and kind of come into that place of who you are as an artist in that moment in time that's going to be represented representative of you on an album. Um, but you know, whether you come in with ten songs and it's the ten songs that you record, or whether you narrow down the ten from a hundred, um, it's the quality that's important at the end of the day. And I think each individual artist has to go through what that process is. You know, so I don't think one is better than the other. It's just dependent upon knowing yourself and kind of what motivates you to tell your story. Right. I, I, I totally agree with that. Now, something new that I'm introducing this first time doing it, uh, we hear a lot of chat GPT stuff. So 
This is a chat GPT question of the week. I put in, I'm hosting a webinar called Secrets of Hit Songwriting. What's the best question I could ask the speakers? And chat GPT said, can you describe a time when a song you wrote had an unexpected impact or resonance with your audience or particular listener? And how did that experience influence your songwriting moving forward? So have you had a real like a emotional type of impact or connection with an audience? And then how did that turn into you moving forward as a songwriter? So that's a chat GPT question. Simon, you're up. Oh, oh man. I don't have, <laughs> um, I don't know about unexpected emotional connection. Cause I think I always hope there'll be an emotional connection, but there have been songs that I've worked on where I didn't, I didn't realize that, that it would be as big as it was. Like I thought it was solid, you know, good song, but spoke to more people than I thought it would. I don't know. I'm afraid of the chat GPT question. Hill, can you take it? Um, I don't know. This is a tough one because it's like, for me, I'm emotionally attached to everything. And I just hope that someone else that hears it will eventually emotionally connect with it as well. Um, I think my scenario is a bit different because I write with a lot of independent artists. So it's not like I've had like these crazy, like, number one worldwide hits that necessarily hit that way. But I think I've definitely written songs with artists where you'll get an email from somebody that like has a very personal connection to it. I think that's always a very powerful moment, you know, to connect with a complete stranger in that way um, and hear their story. But I don't know, I guess that would be my answer to that because <laughs> I don't think there's one moment. No, it's all good. And I, I got to say, I like what Simon said though, because you could think a song's okay, whatever. And also it blows up. And it's like, to me, that would make me think there's a lot of other possibilities moving forward. Uh, Do you know, John, oh, go ahead. Ahead. John Angus, I want to say something specifically to you, which was, there was a story, I think Colin told me about Man of Two Minds, where yeah. like, yeah, I feel exactly like that. I'm torn between, and he was like justifying cheating. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, hang on. I'm just going to ask ChatGPT how to answer this question, and then I'll come back to you. Uh, no, that's that's hilarious. I mean, we we wrote a one of on one of our first blind dates, uh, co-writing together. We there was no time for later, and Manitou Minds were two of the earliest songs. Manitou Minds is a song that people request all the time, and they want to hear it. I, correct me at any point along the way, Simon, if I'm mischaracterizing any elements of this, but I think it was more geared towards what you were going through in, in your personal life than what Colin was going through. Anyway, the song is about I not being able to Because I'm married to the other guy. Yeah. I had a boyfriend and I met my husband. Right. I just celebrated our 13 year wedding anniversary. Happy but ending. I, I had a boyfriend at the time and I was really confused and I was so emotional that I came over and you guys helped me through it. Yeah. Well, we wrote this really great song that's sort of, if I may say so, I mean, it's, it has stood the test of time. I mean, that was like 2008. But Colin is going to be the ultimate singer of this song. So we, we flipped the, the gender and it became, the, he's a man of two minds and he can't decide between the two women that he loves. You know, uh, it's, I'm surprised it works, you know, because it's like, 
you're not necessarily a great person singing this song, uh, but so many people come up to us and be like, that's our, that's our wedding song. People have had that as a first dance song. And we're just like, I think they missed the point. <laughs> it must be relating to the melody. I don't know what it is, but um, it, it, it did, you know, it came off uh, good in the end, you know? Um, so yeah, but that is one that we, that we hear about a lot. And uh, you know, thanks to Simon and her, and her, life experience that song came into the universe wow that's such a story uh it that's that's just an example of how collaboration can really bring something to life um i wanted to touch on something i hear about from a number of songwriters uh, like noel gallagher has said this and sometimes uh some of the beatles but like do you ever feel like the song is like channeling through you or coming from somewhere else like often you hear the hit songs were written in two minutes like the the easiest ones tend to be the best ones uh not having to work hard at it and things like that um can we talk about that type of experience do you do you feel that that's part of what you've experienced um and again i'm going to go in the same order simon first Okay, I have a lot to say about this. So it's amazing when that happens. It's beautiful. And I'm sure everybody on this call knows what it's like when a song just hits you and you hear it front to back and you just you just have to get it down. And that's amazing. However, there's a story that I love about Nasri writing um, Rude, which was a huge, huge international hit, right? Apparently he rewrote that top line like 12 times from different perspectives, like, uh, you know, and eventually it, 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 the, the one that stuck was where he's talking to the dad, which is amazing, right? Um, but I don't think that, that it affects the eventual outcome. I think people are afraid of putting in the work to rewrite and rewrite and rewrite until it's great. But when you see how many people have success rewriting, uh, we uh, do it. It doesn't have to be, that's what separates the people who are like, well, I wasn't inspired today, so I didn't write. If you're a pro, you sit down and you write every day. There's a great book about writing by Stephen King called On Writing. And in it, he talks about sitting down in the same place every day at the same time and working on your craft. And some days you will have that amazing creative flow and other days you will just grind, but you show up and that's what makes you a true writer. I love that. It, it, it reminds me of a story from Steve Miller, how he consciously made the decision. I'm writing a hit album and I'm, he went in his garage. He's like, I'm not coming out till I've got hits. And he had hits like that album was like all hits, but he just made that conscious decision. And I think it was like a few years of him being in his garage, writing songs and re-editing and all that. And, and he didn't emerge until this is a hit album. And he was hundred percent correct. Yeah. <laughs> John Angus. I, I couldn't agree more with, with what Simon just said. And, um, when I did the little aside video, like a recommendation for songwriting, that's what, that's what I recommend. Like do it every day, do it as regularly as possible. And that kind of advice has a certain like eat your vegetables quality to it. Like people don't necessarily want to hear it, you know, like it's, it's, but it's good for you. 
just like your vegetables. Um, you know, but certainly to get back to your, I think the, the initial question, like sometimes, you know, a laborious session is happening and it can be on your own or it can be, you know, with your bandmates. And this, this happened a few times, a bunch of times, thankfully, but like you, you're going through and maybe you've touched on two or three ideas and you're trying to get something going and you spend an hour and a half jamming on this thing or working on this thing. And then in the last 15 minutes, you, you wrote the best song and you, you spent like, and, and, and again, that song might just be embryotic at that point, you know, like, uh, it's just the beginning. You just know it's good. You know that the got the guts of something great here. Like the the way the chords and the melody meet. We got one good line, and we know this is the best song. It's not even finished yet, but we know this is the best one. And like, thankfully, you know, I've been a part of a lot of those moments. And and that's. Um, but again, we always talk about this. Would we have gotten there if we hadn't just sweated through three and a half hours of like teeth pulling and brick walls and dead ends you know and i i think the answer is no i don't think we we would get to those places and then just to reference another another song that we worked on with simon um you know to her point about the top line of that song root changing like i think if you have your uh, i'm going to use the example of a song called manitou uh sorry in the morning uh, off of our fifth record a song called in the morning and it came from i think like a fairly inspired place like the music like the the guitar line and the melody uh, came and I wrote it and I thought, this is good. I, I, I just know this is good. And like, I, not all my ideas are good. They're mostly crap. But like, I was like, this is good. I like this. And I'm going to show it to the guys. And the guys were like, oh, that's really good. And then Colin wrote a bunch of words to it. And then we went to record it with a producer. And Colin's like, I don't like these lyrics anymore. And we're like, oh, but don't ruin it. It's so good. Like, we, don't, we like this song. We know it's going to be a good one. And he's like, no, I'm just going to call Simon and I got to go over these lyrics with her. And I got to make sure that my point is being made clearly and that it's sensitive to what I'm trying to say. And There's nobody else that you can call better in that situation than Simon Wilcox. But so they got on the phone and then he brought the lyrics in and we played it again. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's much better. OK, great. Let's carry on. You know, so but those two things are not you know, they're almost mutually exclusive. Like the good special bit is, is there. And I think that's the part when you talk about channeling, who knows where that came from. It's like, I certainly didn't invent those two chords, you know, but like for whatever reason, the, the, the melding of that melody with that music and those chords, like I, the, the germ of something really cool was there. And that maybe that's being channeled. I don't know what, how, how you describe that, but, but then you still got to kind of go to work on it and, and really make it speak to its fullest potential. Yeah, it's editing, editing, editing is, is, I think, something that is overlooked a lot, um, especially a lot of people are producing themselves. So they kind of go, OK, I'm done. And they don't have that extra push from somebody else to go, no, I want to change it. I got to tweak this a bit, you know, uh, Hill, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. Um, my thoughts. Well, I think it's a balancing act between those two things. and. Um... You know that when you get that moment where the muse strikes, so to speak, like and it and it happens that quickly. I think those are very sacred, powerful moments, but they don't happen all the time. Um, and I think that there's a constant battle in what we're doing to surrender to the process, right? And that's a really hard thing to do. That's what I practice every single day when I walk into a session, right? It's that fine line between you getting in the way of yourself or getting in the way of the message that's trying to come through. So um, 
I think it's important, you know, at, the, at that beginning, initial part of the songwriting process to just stay as open as possible to start to let that stuff flow. And maybe that's what that lightning strike moment is. It's you just being in a moment where you're like purely ready to receive whatever that is and channel that through. Um, but sometimes it takes a minute to get there and that's not a bad thing. But I think allowing ideas to flow without judgment for those initial moments is crucial to the process. And so the way that I like to approach it, and it's not always this way because this is also genre dependent, you know, where sometimes you're kind of locked into a form or rules, so to speak. Um, but I try to get all the ideas out and foster an environment where everybody can get the ideas out before we start to say, no, not that, not that, not that. Because I think that the, the second part of that process when the editing comes in, um, is where we refine those things and make it better and better. And the refinement process is also a process just like that initial part of the songwriting process where you might try to even refine in a session. And a lot of the time when I'm working with an artist on an album, we'll actually have several workshops before we even get to the recording process where we'll go through everything again and go comb through the melodies and the chords and the words. And is everything kind of aligning with the truth that the artist wants to speak? So, um, you know, allow yourself that flexibility within the process to kind of know when to wear certain filters. Um, I think that's really important. Yeah, and I really liked, uh, you know, letting the artist really be the artist, like what's their voice? What's the message they're trying to portray? Because that could also get lost in collaboration too. Sometimes it's like, oh, we got to go this way and the artist doesn't feel comfortable. I think that that's, that's really important as well because ultimately they're the ones that got to perform it and sell it and, and live with well, it. Well, it's important to also know that when to push the artist too, because I think we all kind of want to be pushed, right? We're, we are all on the verge of some great potential and breakthrough. And I think that the best collaborations have both elements in there where the artist feels safe enough and supported enough, but where the artists feel so supported that they're able to be vulnerable, vulnerable, sorry, and have those breakthroughs, um, you know? So, and, and as John Angus was saying earlier, like you don't always get that collaborative environment, but I think even in the most painstaking sessions, there's something to learn from that. So yeah, it's I, all I valid and important. I think that that's where that trust is that, that John Eggs has been saying too. It's like, okay, if you're saying it, I disagree with you, but I trust you. I think that that's something that's really important. Uh, wow, look how fast the time goes. I've got a few questions I wanna bang out here real quick. Uh, one, uh, if you were able to give one bit of advice to our audience, what would it be, Simon? Uh, your songs matter. Your work matters. Don't stop. I love that. Awesome. Thank you so much. Meaningful stuff. Uh, John Angus. Yeah, I, I think uh, just to bang on the same point, uh, make it a make it a habit because it's a good habit. And if you're if you got something to say, you might not be saying it clearly just yet, or as good as you want to be just yet, but eventually you will eventually you'll get there i mean if 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 you're called to it i mean it's it's a shame the, the worst is people that feel called to it and don't don't have the opportunity to invest in it you know their time um so if you're able to just make a habit of it you know it's good it's good to communicate what's inside it's healthy 
Eat your vegetables. Eat your vegetables. <laughs> awesome. Uh, Hill. Um, I would say just be open and don't get in your own way. Oh, that's a good one. So many times. So many times. All right. So this one, uh, for the rest of your life, if you were only able to collaborate with one songwriter, living or dead, who would be that one songwriter if you had the chance to work with uh, that goal? Simon. I mean, right now, I just want to write with my buddies, Hill and J.A. <laughs> I just want to be in the studio with both of you right now. Well, <laughs> maybe, maybe there'll be a song after this session. Who knows? Uh, yeah. <laughs> John Angus. That is just an impossibly enormous question. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not sure. I mean, like, I would like to know what was going on in, in, you know, Bob Dylan's living room in the mid sixties. I mean, I, I don't even think I'd want to collaborate cause I would ruin it. I just want to sit in the corner and just look over his shoulder at the typewriter and just experience what that was. Cause I don't even think he knows what that was. You want to talk about, about magic. You know, I'm not, I'm not sure what was going on there, but it's very mysterious to me. So to have a seat in that room would be a, a I guess pie in the sky, wish whatever you want to call it yeah that that one would be great and he's one that says talks about the channeling and and he even actually said in an interview uh that i watched um about i'm not that person anymore i i can't do what i used to do because that channel isn't there which is which i thought was actually really interesting for him to say because he said it just came through me and and it came from somewhere else but that would be that's a great pick i i i, I would love to be in that living room uh hill these questions are very difficult for me i don't like them <laughs> um, what you know what i'll tell you i'll tell you to my two dream collaborations living and dead because i love everybody i work with and it's hard to choose one um but i would have loved to have the opportunity to work with david bowie not gonna happen but that would have been cool um and cheryl crow probably she's like one of my inspirations just overall and i think it would be really special to have the honor of sitting in a room with her and writing something both good answers, man. Cheryl Crow, that first album that came out, oh, songs. And right. the second that and was, third. True, that was like that a first triple album, threat. I was working at UTV at the time, so I heard it every day, every day. But that was Me a big too. Part. I was a child <laughs> listening to that record every day. So. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, so I, at the top, I teased with uh, Simon and John Angus about an artist that they've worked with in the past. Uh, I was tour managing with uh, this artist. We were on the road doing some festival shows with Three Days Grace, The Trues, and Theory of a Dead Man. Uh, this is going back a bit. You just think when Three Days Grace were uh, doing those runs. Uh, and I know Simon worked on some songs with them. They were signed to TVT Records, and the record never came out. Garth Richards produced, Daniel Anwai, I believe, produced a track. And Oliver Black, Oliver Black, right? Oliver Black. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay, that's some. That's going way back. It took it took it took me a second there. But you got it. Yeah. You were on the road with them back then. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
I remember with the, uh, I think, I can't remember if it was Saskatoon or Regina and then Toronto. We did the 97-hour drive and you guys flew. I remember. Uh, Pampered rock stars. <laughs> uh, that's yeah. funny, man. That's going way back. Yeah. So, Simon, I think you were working with them a bit, were you not? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. My memory you know i'm 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 pretty old no that's okay this is going back but it was just that was an interesting thing because i thought they had some great songs and it was just one of those record label stories where it never got released yeah they got ever. caught and they got caught in the crosshairs of a label going under i think is what is what happened but yeah they still i still know those those people like i still know serena and uh, nick and they still have a yeah. band and they still play so the yes band of, yeah Mandeville. He has an incredible voice and curly blonde hair. Yes, yes. yes. Incredible singer. Yes. I totally remember. I love you guys. Thank you for drawing my really ancient memory. <laughs> no, yes. it's great. Like she was told that, like, you know, some people said, like, she's like the next Janice Joplin, you know, like she's a firehouse and a uh, great performer. They're still playing in the Niagara region all the time. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, they were, Danny Lenoir had them as his house band. For a yeah, while. I remember that song they did with him. It didn't. I remember they played it for me. It didn't come out, but it was cool. Yeah, yeah. So just saying, you know, these are some of the things that happen. But keep going, like like stuffs. You know, uh, the industry is the industry. Um, but in their case, they they actually have released a lot of number albums after that, and they're they're great songs. But uh, yeah, that was a that was a fun time. I got to say, uh, playing some of those shows uh, it was good times, good memories all around. Cool. Um, well, look at that. It, it's uh, always really quick. Uh, just a reminder to everybody, Indie 101 is next week. Uh, we have these kind of sessions all day for three days. And uh, it's really a lot of meaningful things come out of this. And we're trying to build a community online here because uh, yeah, we were in lockdown and, and this was the start of it, but it doesn't have to end. And we're hoping to actually help open the doors for more collaborations through connecting online. Uh, Simon, John Angus, Hill, I can't thank you enough for joining us and sharing your time with us and your stories. Uh, like I said, this was one I really looked forward to and did not let me down in any means. Thank you so much. Thank um, you, Daryl, for having thanks us. Thanks for in. having us. Yeah. And it's really nice to see you, Thank Simon you. and Hill, even just through a screen, but hopefully in real life next time. Yes, awesome. absolutely. Thank you, everybody. We appreciate you for joining us. Uh, thank you so much. I see a lot of familiar faces uh, and some new ones too. So thank you, everybody. Have a great day. Uh, and we'll see you next week. Take care, everybody. All right, so that does it for another episode of the Indie Weekly Podcast. We thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this. And if you enjoyed these conversations that we share here on the podcast, then I think you would really love coming to the Indie Weekly webinars. Throughout the year, we're having them every Tuesday. They're always at 4 p.m. Eastern time. That's like New York or Toronto time. And it's all about high-level conversations, bringing in experts from all facets 
of the music and related industries to share their experiences, best practices, tips, advice, really actionable advice with artists. It's all about helping artists boost their own careers, but it's also about community, connecting with each other, connecting with the guests, connecting with Daryl Hurds, uh, who always hosts. And best of all, it's free. So go to IndieWeek.com, hit the Indie Weekly tab at the top of the page and see what's coming up. Think you'd really enjoy it. Certainly worth your time. We'd love to see you there. And last but certainly not least, before we go, just one more shout out and thank you to our wonderful sponsors and funders. Uh, those are Slate Music, CD Baby, CMRRA, Lyric Find, Banzoogle, The City of Toronto, Global Affairs Canada, Ontario Creates, Factor, Seneca College, SEMA, the SOCAN Foundation, and our newest sponsor, Cox & Palmer, who provide legal services in Atlantic Canada. We also acknowledge that this project is funded in part by the Government of Canada. So without the support of all of them, us here at Indie Week, we couldn't do what we do to help out and work for the music community. So big thank you to all those companies, organizations, and government bodies. All right, that does it for another week. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you have a good one.